Hey, hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. Hey, Hoopheads, once you finish listening to this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the Hoopheads Podcast Network for even more great basketball content. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, JJ Rivera, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Kenneth Wilson. And welcome yeah, to 305 yeah. Culture, a show where you feel the heat. Now let's get down to business and talk some Miami Heat. Well, the Miami Heat wrapped up their summer league, summer league play last week. And Kenneth, what are your thoughts on, on our summer league play? You know, we saw Omar Yurtsevin get signed to a contract, and we have two strong candidates for our two-way contract. So... Who do you think gets those two-way contracts, Kenneth? Um, I mean, that's pretty much a sticky situation as far as who gets them because they're a bunch of talented players. Um, overall, you have to look at the Summer League roster as a success because, um, you know, we found successful players on the team um, or there are going to be some successful players on that team. But the thing about it is this. When you look at a Miami Heat Summer League team or developmental situation – there's often the times where it's a gift and a curse for us. And, of course, I wrote this at All You Can Heat, where you can check me out at every day, allyoucanheat.com, for all of your latest heat news. But um, basically, with that situation, it's like we have so many talented players on our developmental roster that inevitably a lot of talented guys are going to get away. The top two guys, I would have to say, are Marcus Garrett, um, a defensive savant out of Kansas, uh, was the Naismith uh, Defensive Player of the Year 2020, also was the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. And he's definitely guaranteed a spot. I would say if you had to guarantee the other spot, it would be Dejon Giroux out of Houston. I think I noted him back when we first uh, started this process with the Summer League. He's a big guard, uh, tough, scrappy, played for Kelvin Sampson, so you know he's tough and balls to the wall but also like I said he's a big guard legit point six five wants to defend wants to do the little things scrappy wants to give everything now of course you have Omar Yurtsevin who's signed to a standard deal so as far as two-way goes he's not an equation there Max Dress not an equation there because he balled out in the summer league as well um, Max Struess sorry about that uh, so he didn't you know he's on a standard deal whatever and of course you have Gabe Vincent who's on a standard deal but as far as those two-way goes, you have to say Marcus Garrett and Dejan Giroux are the leaders in the clubhouse. Now, me personally, I would rather sign Marcus Garrett to the last roster spot because then that would allow you to use the second two-way spot on somebody else. And to be quite honest, Marcus Garrett, with what he's shown in the summer league across 7 to 12 minutes per game, not even every night, but when he does play, maybe 15 minutes at max, he's shown that 
he can provide the same thing to you that whoever you would sign with that last spot does. I mean, he can hit a shot. He knows how to finish. He isn't scared of contact. He can get to the paint. He can create a shot for himself or for others. Of course, there are things you want to work on, transitioning from college to the league. But as far as being able to fulfill the role as the last guy on the bench, he could do that as well as anybody we would sign outside of, say, a Rondo. So if your goal is to, say, sign a veteran who's going to come in and help you throughout the playoffs specifically, say, a Rondo, um, then Garrett can't give you that. Or if you want to maintain the flexibility for perhaps an in-season trader deal to top off your roster to put you over the top, then there's another situation where I can see you wanting to keep that last roster spot open. However, if that isn't the case, if you're going to sign a guy anyway, my prescription would be to sign Garrett to that last roster spot because then I would allow you to keep a guy like Dejan Giroux, as we mentioned, Giroux, as we mentioned, but also another guy who's really caught my eye, Javante Smart, who's a 6'4 point guard out of LSU, do everything. And I said this yesterday, he really reminds me of Chauncey Billups. Although he can get his shot off a little easier because his shot is more mechanically fluid, it's more traditional, whereas Chauncey kind of shoots it from the shoulder. This guy shoots it from above his head. Um, He's just one of those guys that he often finds himself in trouble because he can do so much. Um, Like I said, legit 6'4", legit point guard, isn't overly athletic or anything like that, just a good, solid point guard with great skills and can really shoot it and can really shoot it off the dribble. So, I mean, I think we got a bunch of good choices and decisions to make there, man. But the top two options, of course, as I mentioned, are Marcus Garrett and Dejan Giroux. And if you had to bring a third guy in for me, it would be Javante Smart, who I would probably get Garrett signed to the main roster just so I can keep. Now, even outside of that, man, you got guys like McCoy. You got guys like Drew Smith. You got guys like Micah Potter. You got guys like, you know what I mean, a number of other guys who you would love to get into that Sioux Falls developmental program and let them hang out there so that you can go pilfer and pluck like you need. Because as I mentioned, this has to be one of the most talented Miami summer league teams in a while. I literally mean there are nine guys who could stick with the heat. Well, you have to include those three that I mentioned, Struess, Yurtsevin, and Vincent, who are already on the heat. But outside of that, that's six or seven more guys who could legitimately stick. And that's one of the most crucial things or the most crushing things about this summer league is that inevitably there will be some really talented Heat guys or guys that fit with the Heat that will end up going somewhere else because we just don't have the room. But an overall success if I had to put a number on it. Wow, I think you said everything there. I, I don't think I can add any more meaningful contributions to what you stated. Well, we had the conversation, man. I paid a little more attention to that aspect than you did. So I figured I'd do my part and kind of totally encompass it if I could. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Also, moving on, we're staying with the summer league, but one last topic. I've seen a lot of case of hate or maybe disappointment towards Casey Akpala. I don't know. Maybe, you know, offensively people are... Uh, expecting more and defensively some people were disappointed can you comment on that Kenneth so man when it comes to KZ it's a really sticky situation you have those situations where there's just going to be a player that the masses don't like and I find it to be a massive case of groupthink right now with KZ uh 
Akpal is not guilty of anything that any other young developing player is not guilty of. He has an elite tool, which is his size and his ability to play defense on anybody. But then he has things that he has to develop. And in his case, it's the rest of his offense. You're comfortable, though, with KZ because unlike other situations where people struggle with something, KZ's trying. Like, a lot of people's issues have been his shooting percentages. Well, his shooting percentages are so low because he's taking the shots. The only way to get better is by shooting the shots. And that's not his role on the team right now anyway, which is to be an offensive force. That isn't why he's there. He's there because he's 6'10". He's there because he's 6'10 and he can guard the one, the two, the three, the four, the five. He's there because he's 6'10". He can guard the one through five and he's going to be the guy to make the little plays simply because he's going balls to the wall, because he's giving all out effort, because every play means something to him. There were numerous occasions as people were trying to trash him in the summer league that the Miami Heat got an extra possession, or he made the big force out, or he made the deflection, or you you have to take into account that this man was the anchor of the defense from the top of the key. Like people like to highlight what Omar Yurtseven did in the summer league from a defensive perspective, but to be honest, he still wasn't that good. There were too many times where he allowed the opposing center to get behind him. However, he looked like baby Dikembe Mutombo at times because he had a summer league block party. Well, the reason he was able to have a summer league block party is because of what KZ was doing out top. KZ would pick up the main ball handler, would then switch to the secondary ball handler and follow him around the perimeter if it stood out there. But most of the time he pestered them so much that they had to avert the perimeter and frantically drive to the basket or try to make something happen at a basket, which gave Yurtsevin the easy lane to a block. All of that is due to KZ. So on that topic, it's just a lot of harping on his weaknesses while trying to magnify those weaknesses to the point where it makes him look bad as an overall player. It all comes down to this. What you hear a lot of is wave KZ, sign Marcus Garrett. So you mean to tell me that you want to sign the 6'5", 22-year-old rookie that hasn't played a lick of NBA ball to essentially do the same thing that KZ can do, but better. You know, the 6'10 guy that's also 22 years old, that's been in the league for a couple of years, that's been in the heat system for a couple of years. And oh, by the way, just came off of a massive couple of weeks in the Olympics that included locking up Damian Lillard. I mean, but we've all forgotten that by now. I digress. It's just a lot of group thinking hate going on with KZ, man. It's unnecessary. His role on the team will be as a defensive stopper, either to save effort, to save minutes, to save fouls, or to simply be a pest on opposing players that are giving us problems. That's his role. His role isn't to be a sniper. His role isn't to be our main offensive threat. But he has the capability to be able to finish that when he's playing with other guys, which takes me to the last point here. When you're talking about guys like, let's say, Tony Allen, when you're talking about guys like, let's say, even Bam Adebayo, guys who do everything well, guys who don't really excel because they're great at one area, but guys who excel because of everything they do. Now, this is a question for you, JJ. Do those guys not typically tend to play better with better people around them? Every player does because – basketball is a team sport you need good teammates around you to be better so i don't i don't understand why that would be such a huge issue 
Well, well, the, question, the, question, well, the reason, reason, reason that's the question, question is because everybody is, wants to say he's averaging this, this, and this in summer league. Like, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, the typical logic would say lesser competition, the better play. But I disagree with that. For guys who excel off of highlighting themselves based on what their teammates can do, that's not the case. And I'll give you an example. Everybody wants to say Bam needs to shoot the ball. Bam needs to shoot the ball. Shoot the ball, Bam. I agree. However, Bam is as good as he is because of everything else he does. Now, Bam is only made better in everything else he does by playing with better teammates. So when you're specifically talking about guys who excel at the thing outside of putting the ball in the hole, they're only going to be better with better teammates. Does that make sense? It does. And to wrap it up, to wrap up the summer league topic here, I think sometimes people put too much stock on summer league play as a whole. We have seen guys be absolute superstars in summer league that they look like they're going to be the future. And they just flame out in the NBA, or in the, and the and vice versa, where the other guy, where right, some guy I mean, looks looks bad, and he turns out to be a a a good NBA player. I was glad I was you glad said you that because it is both sides. It's like you know you get a lot of overrating and a lot of underrating based on the summer league, and I hundred percent agree with you because to kind of hit on your point, you uh, we even had this other topic. Again, you can catch us on All You Can Heat, as you know, every day for your heat news, rumors, and commentary. Um, but this was a topic of mine where I asked, Omar Yurtsevin or Dwayne Demon for top backup minutes? Now, group thinking recency bias has a lot of people saying backup minutes, Yurtsevin is going to start. Well, not so fast. If you take a minute and hop in your time machine back a couple of minutes ago when I highlighted years of his defensive inefficiencies, those are the things that are going to keep him from getting that major minutes total that a lot of people, you know, hope that he gets. Um, but to the main point here, it's a recency bias. People are overrating and underrating players based off social, I mean, summer league performances. I apologize. Listen, Omer, Great, great guy. I hope he he turns out to be a really good NBA player and a re, and a front court partner alongside Bam for for the long term. Dwayne Detman is an NBA veteran. This is a team looking to contend, and we all know, you know, Spo lets you make some mistakes here and there, but with a team that wants to win a championship, mistakes have to be limited, and young guys make a lot of mistakes, and you know the NBA the NBA game speed is so much different than what we see in summer league. So I, I, uh, I don't expect, hell, I don't know if, uh, if Yurt 7 will be, will see any meaningful backup minutes unless he absolutely impresses, which I hope he does. But those minutes right now belong to Detman to answer the question of your, to answer the question of your, of your article. I guess I it guess was it telling, telling you that you had said enough, enough, JJ. JJ. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, basically, man, the main thing there is, is you, said, you it. said it. Young guys struggle to get minutes with Spo in the first place. But even on top of that, you can be the best scorer in the world. And this is with the Miami Heat specifically. You could be the best scorer in the world. You could score 20 points a night. But if you give up 25, that doesn't help us and Spo isn't going to play you. Plain and simple. And right now, what we need 
with what else we have on that team. Um, to be quite honest, adding Markeith Morris, an example, and P.J. Tucker, who's been one of the best corner three-point shooters, we added offense at the big position, to be quite honest. And, of course, we want Bam to continue to develop and to take his shots. Um, I can I hate to keep plugging myself, but as you told me before, J.J., there's no, say, no such thing as a shameless plug. Um, basically, I think that Bam should be at 15 attempts per per game this year. But with that, that means that the big focus should be on the defense. Also, when you're talking about physicality, toughness, and rebound, things that really hurt rebounds, things that really hurt us to open last season, that's why Dwayne Dedman was such a huge get. That's why he was a necessary piece, and that's why they went and got him. So to think that he's not going to be the top backup when he's literally the thing that we were missing for so long last year it's kind of just reverse logic because you would be going back to that same softness, that same lack of toughness, lack of physicality, and lack of defensive prowess to have everybody up in arms last season. Now, I do want to ask you a question on Summer League before we move off. Had you had a chance to see any Precious Achua highlights? No, I did not. But I did see a curious comment that that Messiah Drew had for Precious Achua, they saw on Twitter, which basically went like Precious, like Precious said, finally, and <laughs> Messiah said, "You're mine. You're now. You're mine now." Even uh, like, hmm. I don't know if this is real, but if it were real, that seems like a really weird thing to say. But no, I, I mostly listen. I didn't watch a lot of summer league, but. The things that I did see about Summer League were mostly heat re- heat related because absolutely, I, absolutely. Well, I mean, he, well, I mean, he, he he showed a couple of things. He showed the ability to sink the three pointer, and he and he kind of showed what I have been saying. We had the conversation um, a lot last year where I told you he isn't a power power guy. He's a quick power guy, um, meaning he won't catch it on the block, operate, give you two moves, and then dunk on you. But if you get it to him in transition maybe two or three steps away from the rim, the defense better move out the way because he's going to make you look bad. And that happened several times in the summer league. But that didn't surprise me because I knew that's what he was. To what you said, man, um, I don't know if it's 100% legit or not, but it wouldn't surprise me. One, because Masai Ujiri loves players from the motherland because he is really tapped into what's going on in basketball Africa. But also, it would make sense if Precious said that to him. Because just like Messiah is tapped into what's going on in Africa, the African, you know, players or the players that descend from Africa, they know that. So they probably have a certain appreciation level for the fact that he has such an appreciation for ball players from Africa. That's all that is. Bill, I'll just wrap that up with saying that I hope Precious... Precious flourishes with the Raptors. Oh, not against absolutely. Another, absolutely. Not against the Heat, but not against us. But against other teams. <laughs> well, come on, man. You know there's going to be a chip on his shoulder because everybody feels that way. I, I, I did mind that we moved Precious because you had to move something to get the Cal Lowry deal done. But I wasn't necessarily saying move Precious because, you know, I'm, I've been a big Precious guy. It's kind of the same thing as KZ. You got a lot of uber-talented guys that have to adjust, that have to make the tinkers, that have to figure out how they can most be themselves while also being the best version of themselves in the NBA. And that doesn't happen at the same speed for everybody. So no, 
I'm I'm there with you. I mean, I hope Precious flourishes to the end of times. I mean, I just hope he blossoms into the most beautiful player, um, the most violent player um, that he can be, as you stated, though, just not in Miami. Moving on from Summer League, let's talk about some win totals. Now, I don't think Kenneth is a betting man. Neither am I. First off, it's illegal to bet on sports here in Puerto Rico. It's not illegal in the States, brother, and I get my wager on. Well, there we go. Okay. So, basically, Points Bet Bet USA released their NBA win totals a couple days ago. And we're going to go through them in the East. We're not going to go too deep in the East because, you know, we did a deep dive on the Eastern Conference last week. However, I'm going to read you the the top five win totals, Kenneth, and we're going to discuss whether we would go over, under, or we wouldn't touch those those totals. Does that seem fair? Works for me. Okay. First up, we've got the Nets at 55.5 wins. Second, the Bucks at 54.5. 76ers at 51.5. Our very own Miami Heat at 44, 48.5, excuse me. Hawks at 47.5 and the Celtics at 47.5. Basically, they're all at 0.5. Now, let's start with the Nets. 55.5. What? I think that, w- that would be an over for me. This team is ridiculously talented. Their bench is their bench is going to be really good. And the fact that you can have one of, Ky- one of or two of Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden on the floor at the same time, that's just... That's just overpowering. What do you, what do you say, Kenneth? So, in the case of the Brooklyn Nets, this is what I'm going to offer you. When you look at the game totals last year, Kevin Durant played 35 games, right? Yes, it's to the hamstring issue. Right, right. Okay, let's continue on here. So, when you look at their next guy, Kyrie Irving, and his totals from last year, he played in 54 games, right? Yeah. You can just say yes, JJ. I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking totals here. Just follow along with me. He played in 54 games. And then when you go to James Harden, he also didn't play in all the games. I was trying to pull up the exact number here, but you get the point. There's no way that they win 55 games because I don't think everybody plays 55 games. I don't think there'll be two guys that play 50 games for them out of those three. I think Kyrie Irving's going to play 50 games, but I don't know if you're going to get 50 games out of both James Harden and Kevin Durant um, because they were so hurt last year because they're players that have shown a penchant to get hurt. I do think they're going to be there in the end because they have three top 20, maybe even top 15 guys on the roster. But I don't know if they'll be able to get to 56 wins because I don't know if those guys will play enough games. I disagree. James Harden was a was one of the most was probably the most durable superstar player for a while there behind LeBron James. Yeah, until he tweaked his hamstring. Hey, that happens. LeBron tweaked this hit. LeBron busted his groin. A couple of years ago, it, it was bound to happen. He had gone to multiple deep playoff runs. But now that he had the entire offseason to recover, Kyrie Irving has the entire offseason to recover, recover. And Kevin Durant showing that he is the best player in the world now. That, that Achilles looks like a thing of the past. The hamstring also looked like a thing of the past. 
I think those three guys, they're going to play more than you think. Maybe Kyrie, he's always a, a the, he's the bigger injury risk. He's oh, he's always been injury prone since for a couple seasons there when LeBron was in Cleveland. And he's oh, he's always bound to miss a couple games. But the other two guys Go ahead. The other two guys, Katie, you know, I could see it. He has already missed what almost two full seasons of play due to yep. a broken foot in twenty I wanna say twenty fifteen. Yes. And last spring, and last year, this this spring with the with the hamstring, and the entire last season with the Achilles. However, Kevin Durant, aside from that, he's you know he's had a, a small injury here or there, but he's not a guy that misses a a heck ton of games. Aside of well, if he gets a major injury, now the major injury concern is still there. He's thirty. He's thirty three years old. And he's also seven foot, and he moves like a guy that's six one. That's the recipe for injury. But I'll also offer you this, JJ. You highlighted the actual time miss for actually being hurt. Let's 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 just put a number on there for conversations purposes. Let's just say each of the guys. Can we say that each of the guys will probably miss seven games average with with actual little dings and muscle, you know, injuries, cramps, whatever, whatever actual things? Can we say or agree that? All of them. Okay, I'll give you a better number. All of them missed six games. Can we agree there? I would say about six game for games for each. Right. Right. Okay. I would you know, put a, a bit less. A, a bit less for Harden. Okay. Well, let's say all of them missed five games, right? For something that actually is bothering them. Can we agree there? Yeah, and that's taking into account. Well, I, I, I don't I, think. I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm leading you into something, JJ. Just follow me. Can okay, we I'll, I'll follow so, you. So for just flat out injury, a muscle a muscle injury, a bone bruise, precaution, they bumped something last game, scratch cornea, whatever. We we can all give them five games apiece, right? Yeah, around that number. Okay, so that's definitely ten games apiece, because if they have five for something that they actually miss, then you know they're gonna give them at least five more just random rest days in the new NBA. So that's ten games apiece. That's all I'm saying. They might not all happen at the same time. They might stagger them, but I guarantee you that at least that each of those guys misses at least 10 games, half for actual injury and half for quote finger maintenance, close quote finger. Man, I still, I, even when you have two of those guys, especially if you have Harden and Durant on the floor, that's still, uh, that's still a championship, a championship favorite. And, I'm really high on those three guys together, and I believe that the that the that the right one to go is the over. In my opinion, do you do you have any you, any final thoughts on the Nets? I would say that the under would be the play, and I think you hit on it. You said your belief in those three guys, and you believe, and you want, and you think that those three guys together. Well, I. I a lot of that is imaginary currency, JJ, because first of all, you haven't seen those three guys together. So your belief is rooted in something you think will happen. Even though they've been together for a year, we haven't seen them together. 
So I still think they have to figure that out. It's just so many moving parts to that equation. Again, I still think they'll be a top team in the East. I think they'll be right there when it comes down to side. Who's going to walk away with the Larry OB? As far as that win total goes, though, in the regular season, they have too many things to tinker with and manage to get to 56 games for me. Okay. Moving on to the Bucks, 54.5. I don't know if this is a theme for me, but I also say over. Unless... Here's the big thing for me. Middleton ends up missing some time. He's put on a lot of mileage these, this last season with the Olympics and the finals. But this is a solid team all around. They lost P.J. Tucker, but they brought back Bobby Portis. I expect Giannis to probably be even better. Because here's the thing. and Some some people that are smarter than I have discussed this in their podcasts or in, or in, or in articles. When a team wins a championship, it's like a mental barrier is removed. You think you can do anything. So I believe that the, the Milwaukee Bucks will now be a completely different team. They'll have a full season of the big three under their belt. Giannis is still what, the, a top two player in the league. He'll, firmly, he'll be firmly in the MVP conversation. And this team is built to be ex- excellent in the regular season. And now they prove that they can be excellent in the playoffs as well. I believe this is a really well-constructed team led by a generational superstar that should hit 55 wins easily. I don't disagree with you wholeheartedly, but I don't agree with you wholeheartedly. Just as well as you said, you talk, you've listened and heard and read a lot of people smarter than you talking about teams that cross over a mental barrier once they win the championship. Yeah, that's all fine and dandy, but just as much as that happens, teams also have a championship hangover. While I don't think Giannis will be impacted by that hangover as much, meaning I think he'll be Giannis or be a better version, as you alluded to, um, because he's just built differently. He doesn't objectify or categorize himself based on the materialistic things. And you can see that based on everything he says since winning a title. So the hangover aspect of it all won't impact him as much because he doesn't immerse himself in the outside what's the word, the outside shoulder pats of winning a championship as much as other players do. So I don't think he'll be impacted by the quote-unquote hangover as much, but I think the rest of the team will. Um, Though, again, I think they'll be like Brooklyn in the mix at the end for the Larry O'Brien. I don't think that they'll get to that win total because there's also the fact of just playing deeper into the season and look no further than us. When you do that, um, it took us two or three months to even get back in the swing of things, it seemed, because we were just flat out tired, man. We were flat, and you could see it. And I wanted to ignore it, and I wanted to disregard it, and I wanted to say, hey, man, we can fight through it. Jimmy Butler's going to lead those guys. But by the time you got to game four of the playoffs, and we just had nothing left to give, you knew what the fate was. So I, I don't think they'll cross that win total. I think they'll hit 50 if it means anything, but I don't think they'll get those last couple to go over that total there. Agree to disagree. I think this are, those two are the clear-cut top teams in the East. Now, here's an interesting one, the third team. The 76ers at 51.5. That's an under for me. I know they came up being the number one seed a uh, season ago. They're largely, the, they're largely running it back, save for losing... Dwight Howard to the backup spot, although he wasn't really that good for them last season. Yeah, they lost Dwight Howard and George Hill. They brought in George Niang and 
Andre Drummond to replace Dwight Howard, I think their biggest pickups were keeping their best shooters in Furkan Korkmaz and Danny Green, though. But we all really don't know what will happen with the Sixers unless we get an update on the Ben Simmons front, which, again, it's been quieted down a bit after the Sixers' ridiculous asking price was leaked. So it seems like those kind of talks have been have been laid to rest at least for for a while. But I do yeah. think if he re- if uh, I'll finish up quickly. If he does return, I don't think the team may, maybe they crack fifty wins, but not but not any further. They're they're really good, but you gotta take into account Joel Embiid getting injured. The chemistry, man, I don't think the chemistry will be there. Ben Simmons is a is a good player. I I know. It's it's easy to dunk on him. He's a really good player. He's a really valuable asset in this league, whose value is an, unfortunately at an all time low, and it looks like he won't fit with Joel for the long term. But I do think that you got to move on from him because what happened in that press conference after Game Seven, you can't bring a guy like that back and expect everything to be fine. Jake Fisher actually had it after the summer league that um, he wouldn't be surprised and a lot of execs wouldn't be surprised. And that's Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report that they wouldn't be surprised if Ben Simmons went into the season or entered training camp with Philly because of said enormous asking price. Um, Of course, with Maury being the guy um, pulling the trigger there, it's being compared to the James Harden situation a lot. So to just be quite frank, the reports seem to indicate unless there's movement on Portland's side about Damian Lillard, the running thought is that Ben Simmons will enter training camp with the Philadelphia 76ers, which then makes you think that he'll at least go to the trading deadline, which then leaves room for, hey, we've worked it out. We might not trade him, whatever, whatever. But I tend to agree with you. Um, it's a situation where I think he soured those other guys in Philly. I think that he could still continue to work and develop, and it could be a fit. I just don't know if everybody else in Philly, especially Joel Embiid, who just got a massive extension, so he's going to be there. I don't know if everybody in Philly has the patience to continue to wait on Ben, because even if you're waiting on a guy, it's different than waiting on a guy that's trying and waiting on a guy that you continually have to ask to do the same thing. And that's the situation with Ben Simmons. You're still talking about two of the top 30 guys in the league, though. Can we agree there? Ben Simmons is still a top 30 guy in the league? Absolutely. His, his defense, you know, listen, we we as Heat fans are contractually obligated to throw shade at him. And hate him, right, absolutely. But as an NBA fan, I know his value. He's a good playmaker. He doesn't shoot the ball at all. That's obviously the biggest flaw of them all, and the playoffs has been continuously exposed. But it's, he plays all-world defense. He's one of the He's one of the top, if not the top perimeter defender in the NBA. He's a, he's a top two perimeter defender. He's a Swiss Army knife on defense. You can put him basically on almost everybody. He's a good passer. And when he's engaged, he actually is, he's actually a really good offensive player with his cutting and his driving to the basket. Now the, the rest, what's left is for him to at least, at least take the shots. Not, you don't have to hit them. Just take the shots and get over that mental block, which, again, in Game 7, what play better exemplifies that those issues than when he passed up a wide-open layup under the basket in Game 7 of the 
the Open NBA playoff series. I agree. But when you have a two top 30 guys and a guy that's a top 10 guy who would be a top five guy if he could guarantee you he would play 75 games a season, then you have to still give them a shot. Now, does that mean that you give them the shot of crossing over this win total? Mm, I don't know because 50 games is a lot. I think they could get close to 50, but I don't think they could do 52 either. I'm seeing a theme with me, man. Nobody's going over, and I'm not. I'm even going to shock you when we get to the next team. Okay. Also, very quickly on Philly, we all, you know, harp a lot on and beat on Simmons. But Tobias Harris is the is a highly paid player for them. And we didn't talk about him for a reason, JJ. I mean, we didn't talk about Tobias Harris for a reason. I, I kid. I kid. Sorry, Tobias. He's a good player. It seems like Doc Rivers is the only coach in the league that seems to properly utilize him. He had his best season with the Clippers and when he got traded to Philly, and now he's he had his best season with the Sixers with Doc Rivers coaching him. So I guess it's just uh, Doc Rivers knowing how to use Tobias Harris. So maybe he'll be fine this season. Doc, I guess Doc Rivers excels with big wings who aren't overly athletic. And you look at your Paul Pierce's, you look at Tobias Harris, because I agree with you. Um, there's just something about those type of guys, because it's been noted that Doc Harris, I mean, Doc loves Tobias Harris. Um, and he's actually wonder aloud how he's been allowed to move around like he's moved. But I don't know if for the money you're giving him, he's a player that moves the needle enough. And you hate to be in another man's pockets, and you always want a man to maximize his earnings. So that's not what I'm saying. Simply from a value, cost, to output perspective, I don't know if they'll ever get back true value on that deal. Yeah, I think I agree on that point. Now moving on to the 14, the Miami, our very old Miami Heat at 48.5. And I'm going to say over. Now, Kenneth, I have a, might not be that bold, but I think we, I think this, screw it, I'm going to say it. The, the two best defensive teams in the league will be in the East. One of them will be the Miami Heat. The other will be the Boston Celtics. And I'll give you the reason for the Celtics when we get there. But for the Miami Heat, this team is built to contend with their defense. The offense might not be there every night. Heck, it might not be there most nights. And you'll have to depend a lot on Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, and Bam to take you home on that on that end. But on the defensive end, I think that'll, that'll be the one thing that'll show up every night. And uh, the effort will be there. The strategy will be there with Spo coaching this team. P.J. Tucker added. We, we had P.J. Tucker. Kyle Lowry, of course. Uh, Markeith Morris, Dwayne Detman is back. All those guys, they fit the mold of the Miami Heat and what the, and what we want to do. So I think this is a clear over for me, and they should be at least the third best team in the East this season. Again, man, going with my theme, I think we win 45 games. I don't think we quite get that close to 50. If I had to bet this one, I wouldn't because it doesn't give you a lot of room before 50. I think we win like 46, 47 games, man. 45 right there on the button. I don't know if we get to that 50, though. So that scares the hell out of me. I go under here. Only thing that scares me is that 
This is a very aging team. You hit, and exactly. So there are going to be times where everybody's not going to play. You know what I mean? Or there are going to be times where even in the middle of a game, the minutes are going to be monitored. So that scares the hell out of me. Because we need to save these guys for the playoffs. Can we agree there? Yes, and that will be the smart thing to do. So I could see that point there. But I also think that there a lot of guys who miss that much time. Maybe some guys on the fringes. And I expect, I'm also counting on Bam making a huge jump with him playing with Kyle Lowry full-time. This That's going to be huge for him. I think that he'll make a, a bigger jump next season. So I am really, maybe call me a homer, but I'm really high on my team. Do you have anything else to add before we move on to the Atlanta Hawks? Nope, you're supposed to be high on your team. That's why they're your team, JJ. Okay, moving on to the Hawks. At 47.5. I think this one is a stay away. For, for me, at least, I'm staying away. Because I don't know what to expect from this Hawks team. I think they'll be good. They'll be quite good, actually. But, you know, some of the guys, some of their key contributors in Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, they have shown that they might have some injury problems. And Bogdan, but you know, listen, Bogdanovich missed a lot of time last season, so maybe that's why they had their their bad start. They'll they'll be under Nate McMillan for the start of the season and probably the whole season. He signed a a good, a pretty big extension. Congrats to him. Go get go get paid, coach. But I don't know what to expect from this team because, on the one hand, you know, I we talked about this I think a month ago, where some of some of these teams. They make a, a really good run, and they think they're a couple. They they are they're right there, and they stay like they're right there. And they go make some marginal moves in order to improve the fringes of the roster, but they think they have the core right there in order to be a championship contender. That's what happened with the Portland Trailblazers, no no, two years ago when they made the conference finals in twenty nineteen. And so, are the Hawks that type of team? I don't know. They're really young. They're way younger than the than the Blazers were at that point. They have a budding superstar in, in, in Trey Young, a guy that has earned the respect of his peers due to the to his insane playoff run. Collins is back. Capella is still there. This is a really solidly built team, but I don't know what to expect from them. So I'll stay away from that from that win total. What do you say? I agree with you, but for different reasons. Um, not so much them as much as everybody else. As you mentioned, they're running to the finals this year, put a lot of people on notice. The Eastern Conference finals put a lot of people on notice. And they'll always get the best shots of the teams coming in. I know it's Atlanta. I know you have everything that that city offers. And I know teams that go there, you know, tend to be off of their game because they were on their games the night before. Hint, hint, if you get what I'm saying. However... This is a situation where they have everybody's attention. Nobody's going to go in there thinking it's a night off. Nobody's going to go in there treating it like a go-out night. I think that they're going to get the best shot from everybody that they play. So while I think they have a great chance to cross over the 40-win total, I think 48 is too much because they're going to get everybody's best shot. I've heard the wings over there are quite good. We can ask Lou Williams. Amazing. The thighs and the breasts ain't so bad either. Oh, there we go. 
Now, I don't think we have anything else to add to the Hawks. The Boston Celtics are, are tied with the Hawks at 47.5. That's an... Listen, I'm really, I think they're going to be really good defensively. And I mean really good. Because they just signed Marcus Smart to an extension. So that surely means that they're not trading him this season. Unless there were some rumors that he might be traded this season. They signed Josh Richardson. They brought back Al Horford who... You know, he's not a defensive savant. But he still he could still be a meaningful defensive player playing in some drop coverage and protect the rim. And call yeah, out I think it's the under Go ahead. And you know, bring in this veteran veteran leadership to to have guys be in the right positions. And when you have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you always have a shot. That's the big thing for me though, especially with Al Horford. I think bringing him back even if you're only playing him 20, 25 minutes a game, allowing him to do what he does from that free throw line area. Because think about it, Al Horford excels at posting up at that free throw line, either taking that little jumper or finding his guys on the wing skip passes or the under basket cuts. I think that's going to really, really help out Brown, Tatum, and Smart. Um, And as you mentioned, with his defensive prowess and his ability to be an anchor, even if he's only playing 20, 25 minutes, I think that's going to be massive for them. So going back to what I mentioned earlier, that I think the Boston Celtics are going to be a top two defensive team. I don't know what to expect from Mickey, from Coach Udoka, I believe his his last name is. I'm, I'm really sorry if I if I butcher, butchered it. But this is a team built to be a good perimeter defense. They got Marcus Smart, Josh Richardson, Jalen Brown, who's a really good perimeter defender, Jason Tatum, who's also a really good perimeter defender, and in the inside on the inside you got. Robert Williams and Al Horford and his counter, you know, eh, well, he's he's a defensive negative, but those guys, and depends on what the coaching looks like. Again, I don't, I'm not a coaching expert, so I don't know what to say. I think it's going to be a really good defensive team. Now, on offense, is when the issues might might come up, because as you said, Al Horford is a, is a good passer for a big man, and, you know, but I don't expect to, him to do much scoring, and that's. The score is going to fall squarely on Tatum and Brown's shoulders. You don't want Smart taking a lot of those shots. And again, if Smart, it's, if Smart is going to be your point guard, or unless they start Dennis Shooter, who again can also have a bit of problems being trigger happy. Although he's a really he, he had a good defensive season with the Lakers last season, but he can have a bit of the same problems that Marcus Smart has. That's you like guys that are confident, but you don't like guys that are overconfident. Then your offense might run into trouble. I'm really interested to see how their starting lineup looks. Maybe they start shorter or they leave him, leave him on the on the bench and have Marcus Smart as your starting point guard. I don't think that would be necessarily good for them. But I'm curious to see what they do. Because on offense is where the main concerns lie because this is going to pull out a lot. And I mean a lot of pressure on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown who again are incredible talents. There are two, two of the would you say top 25, top 20 players in the in the league? I believe so. I'll go to top 30. I think Jay, I think Brown is squarely in the top 30 right now, and Tatum is squarely in the top 20. And if Tatum makes another jump, and he starts getting into those conversations of being a top 10 player, then you can you can maybe have a, an average offense. But again, if those two guys are not going, I have a really hard time seeing how their offense goes. But their defense is going to be there. 
even for his age and all the wear and tear and him not being the same guy he was, even the last time he was with Boston, this is why Horford makes so much difference to me. Underrated move, but it's an anti-move because it wasn't somebody they brought in as much as somebody they shipped out that really hurt Boston that isn't being talked about enough is Daniel Tice. What Tice did was Tice was a guy who could be their big man. He was a guy who would play defense on the opposing big, who would crash the boards, who would do everything that the big man needed to do on defense. But on offense, he could sit in the corner, post along a wing, clear out when he see that somebody else needed the space and still be effective because you couldn't leave him because he could knock down that shot. Well, after they moved him, they had Tristan Thompson and a lot of, uh, who's the other guy? Robert Williams. Agreed? Yes, and Tristan Thompson was quite bad for them last night. I know, season. I know, and that brought him up. I kind of led you right into that. The reason that was the case, though, wasn't just because of what they did. It was because of how they helped the offense function or the lack of helping the offense function. When you're talking about guys like Brown, when you're talking about guys like Tatum, when you're talking about guys like even Smart, by the way, I think the starting lineup will look like Schroeder, Smart, Tatum, and Brown. So Brown or Tatum are going to end up being the main power forward this year. That's how I think that looks. But when you're talking about guys, go ahead. Probably Tatum as the power forward. He's he right. He's he's built. He can play power forward position for a longer while than Brown. He's got. I agree. I agree. I agree. But when it comes to the other side of the ball, I think Brown is more equipped to guard fours than Tatum is. I look at Brown as a more physical, tougher player than Tatum is. Although I can understand what you mean if you're telling me on the other side you want to slot Tatum in as the four. However, for me, when you look at that clogging of the paint that their big man did last year that didn't allow those guys to fully maximize their talent, I think that's where Al Horford becomes invaluable. Because not only can he do all of that stuff the big man can do, as I mentioned, that Daniel Tice did, but he then affords them the space to be able to operate in the paint, which is a huge reason for them actually going to get him in the first place. So I think that really helps them, and I think that's an underrated move because they brought back in another big who can do all the big stuff for them on the defensive side, but who doesn't necessarily need the paint in the offense, which totally unlocks their offense. Because as you mentioned, they have two of the top 30 guys along the perimeter, two guys who can get it done from three levels at any time they want to. And here's the kicker. Both of those guys can do it on ball or off ball. I mean – if they play it right, you shouldn't be able to guard them. Even with all that being said, they're an under for me. They I just have them scoring the forty-five to forty-three win range because I think the offensive struggles will be real. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope for my team's sake that I'm I'm right, but I don't I don't see it on the on that end. On defense, I do see it, but on that end, no. While I want to agree with you, man, my thing for the Celtics has been addition by subtraction. I think without Kimba Walker there, without that whole aura, we got to get him back in. We got to make sure we get him going. I think you see Tatum and Brown fully have a chance to unleash themselves. And as you've mentioned, with that defense, with no expectations, and with the reinsertion of the veteran that is Al Horford, a re-upped Marcus Smart, I think they hit 48 wins. Interesting. Okay, so moving on to the other tier. We're going to go quickly because we're running out of time here. Pacers, Knicks, Bulls, and Raptors. Pacers at 43.5. We don't have to be as in-depth. We can just go ahead quick. Um, That's kind of why a lot of my top teams go under here. 
because I think we get some surprises at the bottom. I think the Pacers win 45 games, meaning they go over the 43-and-a-half win total. Um, I just think that with everything, with the Bjorken kind of being sort of settled out, bringing in Rick Carlisle, who is Rick Carlisle, um, you're going to give him a chance to help Brogdon, help Sabonis. They kept Turner, I believe, but help all of those guys fully reach their potential. When you bring in a guy that they have no choice but to respect, that you know is going to be there and isn't going to have all that drama surround them, and you also have to include the fact that they're getting TJ Warren back. So I think that helps them get over the hump there. 43 is just too low for them. They at least win 44 games. I think I agree with you. You're spot on. Rick Carlisle is a is a hell of a coach, a guy that Ernest has the respect of of his of his players. All always had a really good run in Dallas. You know that fortunately came out at our, our expense that 2011 title. Although you know uh, I, you, you you kill me, JJ. Why must you remind me of the terrible times? Because the terrible times make strong men. So. So the Pacers are, are are an over for me. Also, very quickly, that started lineup of Brockton, Karis LeVert, TJ Warren, DeMontis Sabonis, and Miles Turner. That's a really underrated, good starting lineup. Underrated, underrated. Like, see, that's what I'm saying. You just said it. And you reminded me last week something that I forgot. Karis LeVert. Like, yo, like, think about that. They have defense, offense, and a bucket at four positions. Five, maybe. Because Miles Turner isn't necessarily an offensive guy, but you don't just want to leave him at the top of the key by himself because you're going to be running back down the court mad that he just nailed a three. I mean, they have five guys that you kind of like, and I mean, all of them can get down. So, yeah. But, you know, the only big loss they had was losing Doug McDermott to the Spurs. I think that should be – that's going to hurt them a bit because Doug McDermott – was excuse me was quite good for them with this with the shooting last season, but they brought back T.J. McConnell. I agree, but let me be stereotypical for a minute, man. It's Indiana; they can go find a six nine white shooter around the corner in Indiana. I mean, they just kind of breed those guys. Yeah, let let's see what they do. The Knicks at forty point five. Hmm. I I'm really interested to think to see because they brought in they they were the team with the most cap space, and they brought in Evan Fournier. And Kimball Walker, and they brought back Derrick Rose and Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks. I think this is still a really solid team, at least defensively. And Kemba and Fournier solve a bit of their perimeter creation issues on offense. So I believe I'll go slightly over with them. It all depends on on, on Kemba's knee, of course. I agree with you. Um, I think that when you look at Kemba Walker and what Fournier bring. They're worth minimally three wins apiece. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think Fournier's worth five wins um, because of what he's able to do from a three-point shooting perspective. One of the absolute best three-point shooters in the league last year, something like 40% on six attempts, Duncan Robinson territory. And they won 41 games last year, and they got better. They got much better. Now, they gave Nerl Noel $32 million, which I can't understand to save my life. But they got better. So I think that when you're looking at that total, 40 is just too low. If it means anything, I'm going to play it. And they're also a candidate for a big trade. They got the contracts. They got the assets. 
you mentioned that you mentioned that all of their contracts do slot in well to go and get a guy. So I can agree there. Um, but I don't know if that'll happen this year. It doesn't look like it. Doesn't look like any any big player will be available this season unless something really crazy happens. Which again, well, you know, this is the NBA where crazy happens. Right. It could. And we mentioned Toronto earlier and everything that's going on up there, though, in those same blurbs or tweets or series of interview questions, it was kind of brought up or referenced that Pascal is happy in Toronto. If you did want to keep your eye on a guy, he would probably be it. And with New York's proximity to Toronto, typically, I know that doesn't have anything to do with it, but it just seems like deals happen between people that are geographically close sometime. I would keep an eye there. And plus, they could use another wing. Okay, moving on to the Chicago Bulls at 39.5. Now, this is one where you and I have the, sa- have, have, have the same end game for them. We think they're going to be quite bad, but I think this win total is quite underrating them. Now, you and I have different issues with this team. I have issues with them on the defensive end. And you have issues with them on the offensive end. But we both agree that they're not going to be as good as some people make them out to be. But I also think they're going to be a bit better than what this win total is. Because with the additions, I think they're wor- if, they're, if they're not over 40 wins, that's a massive disaster for this team. And they're, and they're going to be in big trouble if, if they don't crack at least 40 wins. 40 wins is a pretty low threshold to cross. So I have the over for them. They're at 39.5. As you mentioned, man, this was one of those polarizing situations where you believe that the defense is going to fail them because nobody plays defense. And I believe that the offense is going to fail them because they're giving me Greg Monroe, Josh Smith, Andre Drummond vibes for the Pistons. Everybody does the same thing. Everybody can't occupy the same areas. Um, This is that team that's also either going to win 41 games or win 38 games. I say 38, so I'm going to go under the 39 and a half. That, that would be a massive disaster of a season for the Bulls. That would, Absolutely. I mean, with all the assets they've, they've cashed in, the contracts they handed out, and if they don't crack 40 wins, there's going to be a lot of, of questions being asked this coming offseason, and maybe even we can see a departure. Absolutely. And it just isn't an offensive perspective where I say they give you Pistons vibes, Greg Monroe, Josh Smith, Andre Drummond. If they don't win more than 40 games this year, they're going to have to exit as somebody and pay to do it. A la Josh Smith, Greg Monroe, Andre Drummond. This is a team that is in a very precarious situation because they're banking on, my, in my opinion, the wrong moves to improve, but to accelerate the timeline. They've been They've been really bad since Jimmy Butler departed. It's been, what, five years since since Jimmy Butler left. So they haven't made the playoffs since. It's been it's been a tough go for Bulls fans. And I'm sorry to tell you guys, if, oh, Bulls fans, is there any Bulls fans out there or if any of our listeners have Bulls fans in their lives, I think there's going to be another tough season for them. Although not for the reasons that they expect, but rather the disappointment and the conversation that will be surrounding this team if if Zach Levine's extension talks go, side, go sideways. Agree. Moving on to the Raptors, very quickly. 30, 37.5. I don't know what to think about this team. 
on one hand last season they they had the they probably had the season from hell for all te- for all teams. They played away from home all 72 games. They were ravaged by COVID at one point. Injuries hit them. And at the and the last month or so of the season, they just threw the towel. Because, again, I think I would have done the same. I would have just thrown the towel at that point. I would probably have thrown the towel at the middle of the season with, with the, how things were going. So, this is an interesting team to me. So, let's... Do you have any quick thoughts on, on the on the Raptors, Ken? Did you think they were going to go over or under, JJ? You didn't mention that. I think this is one of my stayaways. Well, you touched on something very important for me. They played all their games away from their actual home last season. I think going back to Toronto and with all the volatility of knowing that Cal Laurie is no longer there, out of their hairs, I think that, you know, they win 40 games easily. I mean, if you look at their total – it's very small. It's only 37.5, so they have to get to 38. I think they win 40 games easily. I might I, I might agree with you. It's just that I don't really know how to feel, although my guy OG is there. Right. Are you, you, you're such an OG believer. I don't know how you didn't count on him to win 40 by himself. My guy OG is there. By the way, he's my most improved player. Predict. I predict he's going to be the most improved player next season. If Bam takes... If Bam takes 15 shots a game, he won't beat Bam. Hmm. I don't know if Bam can win that anymore because we already know who he is, unless he jumps to 28. Well, that's why I, well, that's why I said, if Bam takes 15 shots a game, I think he go Because a lot of people don't realize this, and I was surprised when I looked it up. Did you realize that Bam averaged 18.6 last year? Yeah. So, if Bam takes... 15 shots a game, which is about three more per game, I think that he could easily get to 23. And if he takes his average up five points, I think you have to give him a nod for the MIP award. Um, and I think that's his next level. Like, there, don't get me wrong, he can continue to get better at the stuff that he already does extremely well. But if you're talking about adding something to his game, I think that's the only thing there is to quote-unquote add to his game, which would be his offensive prowess. And for Bam, that's not about figuring out what to do, how to do, when to do. It's simply doing it. It's simply shooting your shots. It's simply taking your attempts. So I think that OG Ananobi is a strong candidate for the most improved player. I really do. I agree with you there. However, if Bam takes his 15 attempts per game, he'll be the guy that gets it. I can see it. Okay. Moving on to the bottom tier of the East. Hornets, Wizards, Cavaliers, Pistons, Magic. And we can I, kind I, of run through these. I want to give your win totals and I wanna, we'll give a little summation. I want to talk about the Wizards. They're at 34.5. That might be the easiest over. Easiest over. Easiest. I was waiting for you to get there too, which is why I figured that one would be easy. How can you add Spencer Dinwiddie? How can you give Bradley Bill a guy who probably – Let's just be frank. He's probably playing with the best point guard for him that he's ever played with in Spencer Dinwiddie. And you're only going to give them 34 and a half wins. I mean, that's a travesty. Bradley Bill is worth 20 by himself. Um, And like I said, he's probably playing with the best point guard for his skill set that he's ever played with. So that's too easy. Definitely. And and the return they got from the Westbrook trade, Harold, KCP, Kuzma. I believe I'm missing somebody else, or I'm not. No, I think I'm not missing anybody else. Either way, that's a good team. Those are those are good supporting guys, and you already got your top scores. Your your top two scores are going to be Dinwiddie 
and Beal probably. So add those other guys. Thomas Bryant will be back. Yep, that you mentioned it. Thomas Bryant will be back. And then you also have Denny Avija who got injured towards the end of last season but was really showing some good stuff. I mean, you got some talent over there in Washington, man, which is why I was, you know, in the process of agreeing with you. How in the hell could they just have them at 34.5? I'm not, you know, I can't bet over here, but if I were you, Ken, I would be hammering that over. Oh, I'm pounding it over there, JJ, pounding it. Quickly, Hornets, 36.5. It all depends on how much, in my opinion, Lomelo. Also, by the way, on Hornets news. Terry O'Shea, I never thought I would say this. Terry O'Shea got a four-year max deal of $97 million. Go get paid, man. <laughs> Redundancy, man. Redundancy. How do you match? I know Terry O'Shea is more of a scoring guard than a point guard, but he's one of those guys where you don't get your maximum value on the dollar if the ball isn't in his hand. And if I'm the Hornets, you never take the ball out of LaMelo's hand. I, I don't understand that deal. I'm not the one making the calls, though, so I won't try to understand it. What I will do is say this, when it comes to the case of the Charlotte Hornets and winning mm, 37 games, I don't know if they can do it. Yeah, I mean, we're expect, you know, I, I'm expecting a really improved East, but I think the Hornets fall on the, on the bottom tier, in my opinion, because the other teams have improved so much or they're, they stayed relatively the same, and they were still quite good, which, which is the case of the Hawks and the Knicks. So, I don't. I think the Hornets might take a bit of a step back this season, even though I expect Lamelo to probably be named as an, be named to the All Star team this coming season. And I don't know if he'll be named the All Star, but I do agree with you, and I think that's highlighted in the next couple of teams we'll cover. In the case of the Cavaliers, the Pistons, and the Magic, the Cavaliers at 28.5 wins, the Pistons at 25.5 wins, and the Magic at 24 wins. I think that the Cavaliers will go over because I love the young talent they have. I think that by keeping Sexton and Garland and then adding Mobley to that, along with Allen and everything else you have, even if they keep Love in tow, I think they have more than enough to get to 30 wins, and I think the same thing with Kate Cunningham. I want to say they're doing something over there in Cleveland. Maybe not this year. Probably the next two years, they're doing something there. Oh, definitely. No, they're gathering a bunch of young pieces that are going to come of age at the same time. And even if none of them turn out to be top level, top, 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 top five guys, they have enough top 30 to 35 guys to make some noise and be a middling playoff team at the very least. They have a bunch of very good ball players over there. So again, while I think you have Garland and Mobley and Allen and Sexton, who all have a chance to leap into the top 20 um, with their with their ability, go ahead. Okoro's not going to leap that, though, but Okoro, I think, will be quite good. Right. No, he's – Okoro – Okoro's Jimmy Butler, and I hate to say that because he has a long way to go from a developmental perspective, but his mentality coming into the league, he's very Jimmy Butler. He'll guard the best player and shoot the shots that he gets open. Look at Jimmy's first two years in his eyes at Okoro. No, I agree with you. I didn't mention him because he's not ever going – okay, I digress. I won't say not ever, but then the next two years, he's not going to be a guy where you give him the ball and say, go get me a bucket. He'll definitely be a guy where you say, hey, you see that? That's their best player. Stop him from getting a bucket. He's already that. 
But I agree with you. Everybody has their role. And that's a part of why I think they're going to win 30 games minimally because they have guys over there that can flat out put it in the hole. And then they have a guy like him, the guys like Allen, and now a guy like Moby who can, Mobley who can keep guys from putting it in the hole. That's kind of exactly why I went where I went with that. And finally, well, the Pistons, you already mentioned them. You didn't mention your your prediction for right, that. Right. Because you, 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 started you started watching, watching poetic, poetic about the Cavs, man. I had to allow you to tell because I agree. With Kay Cunningham there, and then you still got a bunch of talented guys from last year. Um, they didn't win a lot, but they're still NBA talent. And you add a guy who has a chance to be a generational player who's not only your point guard and running your team at six, eight, nine, or ten, but who can also play offense himself. Usually when you get guys like that, there's a question about their overall ability to put the ball in the hole. But for him, that isn't a question, which I think will be a massive thing for them. And I can see them easily, easily going over the 25-5. I think they actually win 35 games. Wow. I don't know if I'll go that far, but I think they were probably an over team, although not by much. The Magic at 24 wins, (laughs) they could actually be an under team in that. Easy under, easy under. I, if the Magic win twenty two games, I'll be shocked, shocked. They're the consensus worst team in the NBA this season, right? I would agree. I, I eh, let me see. Uh, quick, 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 quick. Uh, Magic, Magic. Looking at the other, it's either the Magic or the Thunder. But who do you trust more, Suggs or SGA at this point? And I think that gives you your answer. And I'm going to go with SGA. So, yeah, it's probably the Magic. So, yeah, they're going to be quite bad. Probably a lot of free wins for a lot of teams. The top teams, to wrap up the um, quick thoughts on the East, the top teams, which are probably the, the Nets, the Bucks, the Heat, and Sixers, they're probably going to be eating a lot of wins off of those last, those bottom-tier teams. Because those bottom-tier teams, they have no shot against those top teams. Now, where those bottom teams might get some wins is against the potential play-in teams, who are pretty good, but not as good. But the elite teams, or the, contender, the contending teams, which I believe there are four right now in the East, they're going to be eating a lot of those wins. From those guys, and they're gonna be, they're probably gonna be nights where you where you play, in a, a week where you play Detroit, and then you play the Hornets and the Magic, and that's gonna be a pretty good week for you. So, you have anything else to add, Kenneth? Yeah, my explanation isn't as dense or complex as yours, but it's sort of similar. For me, when you look at that second group of teams, considering or consisting of the Pacers, Pacers, Knicks, Bulls, and Raptors, you have to throw the Wizards up into that group. Um, and then you have a situation where they're not only going to feast each other, but each of those teams could pluck teams in the top tier at least once in their couple of matchups. So that's why you have a bunch of teams at the top that I believe won't hit their win totals as listed here um, by a couple of games. But you have a couple of teams in that second tier that will hit their win totals over by a couple of games. And I think that's where that discrepancy comes in at. Like you have some of those middle and then you have the Wizards in that bottom tier of teams that are slightly being underrated, which are going to eat some of those top tier wins up. I think that sums it up. This was a really good episode, Kenneth. And thank you 
for listening to the 305 Culture Podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at 305 Culture Pod. You can also leave a short review on Apple Podcasts and a five-star rating. We would really appreciate that because it helps the show grow. Let's we're in the dog days of the offseason, ladies and gentlemen. Let's hope that they move by pretty quickly because right now we're just only discussing rumors and win totals. But I'm really excited for next season to get here. We're six weeks away from training camp. And in the main meantime, I'll probably watch some baseball and some football. Really? You watch other sports besides Miami Heat basketball, JJ? I have other interests in my life, Kenneth. Okay, that's fair. I'll, uh, I'll allow it. So thank you for listening to this week's episode. See you later. Bye-bye.